0: Uh, Let's continue our reading in John's Gospel. We're going to read from John chapter 1 and from verse 35 to 42. Jesus calls the first disciples. And the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they were and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following, and said to them, "What are you seeking?" And they said to him, "Rabbi," which means teacher. Where are you staying? He said to them, "Come, and you will see." So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus, looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You should be called Cephas, which means Peter. Let's pray as we come to God's warmth. Father, we thank you uh, for the scriptures. We thank you that they are good for us that they teach us, they rebuke us, they encourage us. And as we come to your word this morning, Lord, we ask that you would do all of those things in our hearts and our minds. As we come here this morning as, as busy people with lots on our minds, we ask that you would clear space that we might hear your voice this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. I just want to put a slide up that I had up last week a couple of folks have said they didn't feel was up for long enough. Uh, this is the idea of the Lamb that we looked at last week. I kind of wish I hadn't so that I could go into it today because I love it so much. Uh, but we're not going to go back into the imagery of the Lamb. But this was um, really what we were talking about last week, about the Lamb of God. And we start this morning in that same place, don't we? Very similar, John the Baptist um, is doing what he's doing and Jesus walks by, and again he declares, Behold the Lamb of God. And this time, two of John's disciples, two followers of John, hear these words. And as they hear these words, they they are listening to the witness of the one that they follow. One of them, of course, was Andrew, who was Simon Peter's brother, and the other isn't named, though it's most likely John, the author of this book. And you know, you kind of wonder at first, how did John the Baptist feel about this? How did he feel that Jesus comes along and two of his followers, two of his most prominent followers have left him to go and follow Jesus? Well, I think John was absolutely delighted. I think he was delighted that a couple of people that had followed him again, we know that John's teaching wasn't about him, it was all about the Messiah. It was all about the one who is to come. We know that he was a very humble man that we looked at last week. He didn't see himself as a prophet or anybody significant. In fact, he didn't even see himself worthy enough to untie the strap of Jesus' sandal. And here we see two of his disciples, two of his followers, follow Jesus. The same declaration, behold the Lamb of God. Behold, come and see. This is the one I've been telling you about. This is the one I have been proclaiming. Come and see, this is him. And I love the no-nonsense of verse 37. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. I think of those words of of John the Baptist in John 3.30. He must increase, but I must decrease. These were words that were lived out by this man, John the Baptist, that a couple of his followers went to follow Jesus. He didn't care about himself. He didn't care about his followers. It was all about Jesus. It was all about magnifying Jesus and making him known. And John the Baptist is, of course, a wonderful example for us. One who was faithful in his calling, one who proclaimed with passion, one who taught well and with Humility. But there's maybe something a little bit unrelatable about somebody like John the Baptist for us. Because most of us aren't called to stand and publicly declare the word of God. So I want to focus on somebody in this story that I believe is relatable for each and every one of us. And it is an example of personal evangelism, really the first that we see of personal evangelism from the man that is Andrew. Andrew. And I want to take some time this morning and we're going to focus on this first disciple, this man called Andrew. So let's start in the obvious place. Who is Andrew? We don't really hear much about Andrew in the scriptures. We don't know a huge amount about him. We know that he was one of the first disciples, that he lived in Galilee, that he was a fisherman. And he was a behind-the-scenes kind of guy. He was so much of a behind the scenes kind of guy that he is literally known as his brother's brother. That's where we find the significance of Andrew here is the fact that he is Peter's brother. And of course, we've got to remember John is writing the reflective gospel. He's writing later in his life. And by this point, Peter is well known. Andrew probably isn't so much. So for people to hear Peter's brother, they instantly know who you're talking about. But clearly, if they just said Andrew, there wouldn't have been much understanding of who that was. John the Baptist publicly declares the message of repentance and faith, baptising people as a sign of the coming Messiah. And we might not be called to do the things of John the Baptist, but we are called to do the things of Andrew. And in fact, the church needs more Andrews and I hope this morning we will be challenged in our own lives to reflect on how we might become a little bit more like Andrew and there's three encounters that we find of Andrew, the first is here we'll look at that one in depth and just reference the other two of what we see of Andrew and why it matters we go back to verse 37 the two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus Andrew, of course, like all good Jews, was waiting for the Messiah to come to Israel. I'm sure his conversation and his thoughts were dominated by what this man is going to be like. How would he act? What would he do? What would he look like? What would it mean that he would come and set the nation free? There was such eager expectation of the one who was to come. And it is on this day that Andrew proclaims we have found the Messiah. It is like all that expectation of the one who is to come is now here. We have found him. Do you notice in verse 38 we have the rabbi, we have the teacher. And then in verse 41 we have the Messiah. This is the real deal. This is him. And I imagine now. Andrew has found the Messiah. The things that he has spent his life waiting for have been fulfilled. And I think he finds that place of just complete excitement of, oh my goodness, who can I go and tell the best news that I've ever heard? I wonder who we're excited to share good news with, of who we're excited to share exciting news with. Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a good friend. But we just love to share good news. And we love them and they love us and they get excited when we share good news with them. But I imagine Andrew being something like, you know, I was sitting with this guy, John the Baptist. We were sitting by the River Jordan and I was just listening to him. And this man called Jesus comes and John tells me to behold the Lamb of God. So I followed him. And I went and I listened and he talked. He talked all evening. We just listened to Jesus. And he's saying to his brother, look, you're never going to believe it. But I've discovered the Messiah. I've discovered the one we've been waiting for. An utterly life-changing event. Verse 41, he found his own brother Simon. Uh, He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found The Messiah. Andrew goes and spends time with Jesus. The first thing he does is goes and finds his brother. In all of this excitement, of this discovery that Andrew had made, he invites his brother, come and see. Come and see Jesus. Come and see the one that you have been waiting for. And apparently Simon drops everything that he is doing and he goes to investigate this Jesus. And at the end of the conversation, Jesus gives him a different name. Andrew becomes the first in a long line of people who really set the example for us at the most common and effective way of evangelism and of sharing our testimony is sharing the good news friend to friend, brother to brother. Andrew brought his brother to Jesus. He may have had to go out of his way. He may have had to have waited until he finished work. Who knows? But it was so important to him that his brother knew the good news. And he had courage to go and tell his own family member. Isn't it true that for us, the hardest mission field of all is our families? Why is that? Why is it so difficult for us at times to, to minister and share the good news of Jesus with our family? Often it's easier when we, we speak to people we maybe don't know. Because if things, if things don't go very well, we can just walk away and we'll never see them again. That'll be fine. The reason it's so hard for us to witness our family and our close inner circle of friends is because it takes a genuine Christian witness to our own family and friends because our family members and our friends point out our inconsistencies don't they you remember when you stubbed your toe in the middle of the night what was it that you screamed wasn't very Christian of you was it remember that time you said that thing about somebody that wasn't very Christian was it or if that's how Christians act and, and speak, I don't want to be part of any of that. But when we speak to people, we don't really know. If we mess it up, it's okay because we can move on. It's a different story. What if I wonderfully articulate the hope I have in Jesus? What if I so eloquent eloquently tell them the, the, the gospel and my testimony of how the gospel has transformed my life and they sit there and go, uh-huh. And we have that moment where, God, surely if I've been faithful and I've said the right things, surely that's the right formula and now they're saved. But we know that doesn't happen because we need the Lord to move. Andrew's not much of a public kind of guy. He's not much of the big stand-up speaking kind of guy. But yet he continues to work hard. And he continues to minister in the small things. Second Corinthians 3.2, Paul says, You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. Some were doubting whether Paul was legitimately an apostle, and instead of asking for a letter of recommendation, what he's saying here is, your lives are going to be our recommendation because you are transformed. Now you are completely different so when people say, am I an apostle, they're going to look at your lives and say, oh my goodness, what he says must be true. Because we used to be pagans, we used to be uh, that way, but now they follow Jesus. And it applies to Andrew and it, it, it applies to us. The way that we live our lives matter. The way that we conduct ourselves in our homes and in our workplaces, in our schools, our universities, online, wherever it is, it all matters. And actually our conduct is of great gospel importance because our witness matters. Because you might be the only Christian that somebody knows. Somebody might base everything that they know of our faith on how you conduct yourself and how you present yourself. And as Andrew was, so too are we read by everyone. When we claim to follow Jesus, people are watching us. People are waiting to see how we react to things. They're waiting to see where our priorities lie. They're waiting to see how we live. Because our lives may be their first introduction to the gospel. These people, these Christians, claim to be new creations. They claim to be transformed. I wonder if I'll see it. Do you know, there's no record of Andrew ever performing a miracle. But his life in itself was a miracle of God. Why? Because he lived a consistent life. And he was concerned about his family. That's why he went and he looked for his brother. Peter may have been elsewhere doing other things and he had to go and look for him. He had to go and seek him out, and he did. Our family members may be in a totally different headspace from the things of faith and the things that we follow. Do we look for them? Do we seek them out? Do we share in the gentle moments the reality of the Lord Jesus and what he has done? I found this quite fascinating, but at D.L. Moody's funeral, this is a a famous evangelist, thousands came to faith through his ministry, his eldest son stood up to speak, and he said this, he said, D.L. Moody won each of his own children to Jesus. Thousands upon thousands came to faith through this man's ministry, but that was the greatest accomplishment of his life, and it was the greatest accomplishment of his life because his children would know him and see him most intimately. There's a challenge to parents right there. Our conduct in the household matters because our children see it. Their view of faith will most likely not be uh, purely developed off the things they learn in Sunday school and the things they see in church, although that contributes. But what they will see is our conduct in the household and does my mum or dad love Jesus? Does my granny or grandpa love Jesus? Do I see it? Do my friends see it? Am I different in the way that I conduct myself? This first, this first part of us and our families is our call to be consistent Christians. We continue to pray, we continue to come with an expectation that Jesus can and will transform through his spirit. But it is for us about our consistent living. Do you know we're so scared of sharing Jesus in case we get it wrong, aren't we? We're so scared in case we say something that we just shouldn't. But we know that God is sovereign. We know that God is eh, above all things. We know that it's not about our formula of words that brings somebody to faith, but it is the Lord at work. The words of Count Zinzendorf of the 18th century, preach the gospel, die and be forgotten. It's not quite as morbid as it's meant to sound. We don't really have that much importance, but Jesus does. Jesus has eternal importance. And I don't think this necessarily means stand up and preach to the masses, but I think this means that in our lives, share Jesus. It's not about us. Our legacy doesn't matter, but the legacy of Jesus sure does. Because the example of Andrew isn't necessarily that glorious. It didn't bring him fame and riches. It certainly didn't bring him the sort of attention that his brother got. But it was the faithful way. It was Christ's way. And it was a way of incredible humility because it put the ways of Jesus before his own. The, the second encounter we see of Andrew in the book of John is in John chapter 6. There's a little boy, there's a great crowd of people, a lot of people, 5,000 men plus women and children, many of them, and Jesus had had crossed the shore, this great crowd came to him, why? Because they'd seen him perform miracles, they'd seen what he could do, and this crowd wanted to see more of Jesus, and when Jesus saw this crowd coming towards him, he turns to Philip in verse 5, and he asks him, where can we go and buy bread that we might feed so many people? And Philip did the logical thing. He went, just calculated it out. And went, just how much is it going to cost us to feed all these people? And it would have cost about eight months wages to have bought all this bread. It wasn't going to happen. Realistically, it was not going to happen. And that was only to give them enough for a bite each. And actually, in the other three Gospels, the disciples recommended Jesus sends them away. That Jesus sends them to their villages so that they can go and buy their own food. And then Andrew appears in verse 9. Andrew appears with what must be, if you were there, the most ludicrous suggestion that has ever been made. There is just thousands upon thousands of hungry people. And there's five loaves and there's two fish. And even he himself isn't quite sure really what's going on, as he says. But what are they for so many? But he believes. Because he's just seen Jesus do all this miraculous stuff. And he knows who Jesus is. And I can't imagine the reaction of the disciples in this moment. What on earth are we going to do with this? But you see, Andrew believed that no gift was insignificant in the hands of Jesus. And lo and behold, Jesus blessed this small amount of five loaves and two fish and it it fed everyone. You see, in Andrew, we see this caring man. We see this man who cares for the crowd's that draw near. And we learn that offering what little we have, what little he could resource from this little boy. We often think, don't we, I don't have much to give. Well, actually, you do. And you have a purpose in the body of Christ. Whatever we have, give it all to Jesus. Whatever little we have, as silly as it might seem, give it all to Jesus. Sometimes we just need to take a bit of a leap of faith, don't we? And that might require us to be like this boy who gave what he had as Andrew directed him to Jesus. And even when we give the smallest of what we have, let us never underestimate what God can do with it. And the third encounter, much more shortly, we find in John 12 verses 20 and 26. And we read of some Greeks who were seeking Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. And Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. They came to Philip. Philip went to Andrew. They went to Jesus. And actually this is the words that are engraved on the pulpit. So we would see Jesus. This is the words uh, probably in the King James translation. Of what we see here. Of what the Greeks are asking in John 12, we just want to see Jesus. We want to see this man. You think, triumphant entry. Jesus has just come. Everybody's uh, worshipping him and they want to come and, and see. Jesus has just raised Lazarus and Lazarus, and the tensions are high and they want to come and they want to see Jesus. So Philip and Andrew went and they got Jesus. That's the three places that we see Andrew. we see Andrew bring his brother to Jesus we see him bring uh, this small boy with what literally he had to offer to Jesus and again we see him bring the Greeks we see him bring people to Jesus we see Andrew was a bringer quite literally he was quite literally a bringer his brother, the boy, the Greeks to Jesus and you know not everybody can be a Peter Not everybody can be like his brother. And in fact, we would be in absolute carnage if we were because he was headstrong and he was bold and he, he proclaimed things. And it would be carnage if we were all like that. But we are all called to be like Andrew. So let us look for those that we can tell about Jesus. Ask God for a burden with an aim. Do you know, sometimes we so run the risk of when we talk about sin and the lost that it just becomes this phrase, this group of people, but the lost have names. The lost have names and we are called to care for them and care for them deeply. Who is your Simon? Who is your Simon Peter? The church desperately needs more Andrews. Those who are willing to live quiet and godly lives that share the love of Jesus wherever they can. And we call this this method, this way of evangelism, either go and tell or show and tell. Because we have to show the difference that Jesus makes in our lives. But we must also tell them who it is that makes the difference. Because some believe that that if we live differently, people will just ask questions and they'll come to believe. So actually, the actual sharing bit of who the Lord Jesus is and what he's done isn't that significant. Just hoping that unbelievers will guess. But they're never going to make the jump from Jonathan's a nice guy to I believe in Jesus who died and and rose again. It's not going to happen. Well it could, but most likely not. Because they're not going to figure that out. But it is showing and telling. And I just want to leave us with four practical ways in which we can do this. The first is love people where they're at. When we think of people that we would love to see come to faith, like Andrew, let's ask ourselves, what practical things can we do to make somebody feel loved by me and loved by God? How can I serve this person? Secondly, Show them you're different. What difference could you ask Jesus to make in you that your Simon Peter might notice? If you were in an environment where people stab each other in the back, be the one that defends people. If you're in an environment where people tear each other down, be the one that builds up. If you're in a negative environment, be the one that is positive. If you're in a selfish environment, be the one be the unselfish one. Show people a difference that they will notice. Thirdly, tell your testimony. Tell them how Jesus has transformed your life. That's why we're here. We believe that Jesus changes things. We believe that we are transformed by Him. Tell them that. Do you know, for many that become Christians at young ages, we feel, I don't have a testimony, I don't have anything to say, it's just boring. Do you know, I wasn't a drug dealer in prison and then Jesus transformed my life, but I was just a little kid, so what, what would my sinful self look like? Well, I don't know, because I've always followed Jesus. But I wonder if you took a moment, and you were to write at the top of a bit of paper, if it wasn't for Jesus, And describe what your life would be like without him. What kind of person would you be? What would the lonely times be like? What about the times of depression and anxiety and struggle and isolation? What would they be like without a faithful saviour? What real difference does Jesus make to your life? Make it personal and make it real. And fourthly, pray. Pray continuously the words of Colossians 4, 3 and 4 that reads, At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word, declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Pray that God would give us opportunities to share the love of Jesus. Pray for boldness as he opens those doors. Secondly, pray that as the Lord opens those doors, that whoever we speak to, their hearts may be open. Lord, would you have their hearts ready to hear the good news about you? So when they hear about you, as Simon Peter did, they believe. And thirdly, pray for wisdom as we speak. Lord, open my mouth. Give me courage to say what I need to say. Give me the right words. Give me the right approach to use. Show me. Because in the moment I'm nervous, I'm not sure what to do. I don't know how to do this. But Lord, would you give me wisdom? Would you help me to articulate my faith and what it is that I believe and why I believe that Jesus Christ is so important? That is our example this morning of Andrew. The one who was faithful the one who brought the small things to God, and the one who cared deeply that people would come to see Jesus. And my prayer and my hope is that that burden that Andrew had for the gospel and those drawn near might too be the message of our lives and will be the message that is known as the primary message of the church. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's pray. Lord and our God, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you that from uh, when when Christ first came into this world, we see him drawing people to himself. We see your people faithfully believing in Christ and drawing others near. Lord, we recognise the darkness of our land. We recognise the darkness of our own community. We recognise the need for, for strong and bold gospel witness in our land. But also, Lord, we pray that you would embolden us. That as we speak to our friends and to our families, that we might have a deep burden, that they might come to see and to know the Lord Jesus. That we would be faithful in the way we conduct ourselves. That we would not do anything that would cause the message of the gospel to stumble. And we know we'll mess up, Lord. We know we'll mess up frequently. Would we come to you for forgiveness? And would we continue to live in the way of following Jesus? We thank you that you are ever present with us. That you never leave us, nor forsake us. Amen.